Happy New Year! Hello, my name is Josh Topping and welcome to Topping's Topics episode number four in the brand new year of 2017. Now I've been away for a little while actually over the Christmas and New Year's holiday. I've had a rather busy time um, and I've actually got a lot of stuff backed up. Um, and I was going to do one massive long episode today, uh, but I decided that I'm probably not going to do that because I don't really want to sit here and make a two hour hour and a half long video that you're probably not going to watch the entire thing anyway. So instead of doing that, we're just going to go with the normal three topics, see how long it goes, and then instead of doing the fortnightly stuff, we'll actually do weekly until I run out of things, and then we can go back to fortnightly. Uh, but this week we're going to be talking about Star Wars Rogue One, Shooter and Sherlock. Now Star Wars Rogue One was a great movie that fits perfectly in between the middle of three and four, actually rather closer to four. If you watched Rogue One and then four, it literally just jumps straight into it. So if you took out the scroll part, you, you know, actually you know the scroll part in, in number for that part there if you just deleted that and inserted road one that would be literally the start of the movie Speaking about the scroll text though, it actually is rather interesting. This movie has no scroll text at the start of the movie, um, which you can kind of feel because the movie actually feels rather a bit long to start off and a bit tedious because they've actually got to set things up properly, which is, uh, yeah, it was different and some may think it worked, some may think it didn't work. For me, I admit, the first time through, it rather seemed boring. Now, this actually might have been a result of the fact that they planet hopped quite a lot. The first three or four planets you see, they go through rather quickly. They give you the name, they give you a quick like landscape shot, they have a little bit of a scene on it, and then that's it, and then they move on to the next planet. But the very start of the movie is the Krennic coming to get Galen Erso, which is Jin's father, to come finish the Death Star. He needs him to come finish the Death Star. Something's happened where it's just slowed down the work, and he needs someone to come fix it. Uh, and this results in a bit of a skerfuffle, which happens to Jin's mother getting shot, and uh, Urso going off with, with uh, Krennic. And Jin going and hiding in a hole, which is to be found later by Sorgera. Um, but yeah, like, uh, like I said, the movie jumps around quite a bit after this part, but once it settles down again, it gets pretty good. Sorgera's rebellion actually is rather interesting, and although his story is, I think it's in the Clone Wars is where it is, um, yeah, I, I feel like he was a bit rushed in this part of the movie, but I think that's because mainly he's in the Clone Wars. Uh, and if you really want to go see his story, which I, I think I want to go back and see his story, so I might go back and watch a bit more of the Clone Wars to go check that out. Urso's message to his daughter, though, is one of the best things in here, although her reaction to it I kind of don't agree with, but I'll get to that in a second. But Urso's message is explaining the design of the Death Star, which has been kind of like a meme for a while about how stupid it was that the design of the Death Star has this one fatal flaw in it that's really small but can blow up the entire Death Star. Everyone was like, that's a fucking stupid thing. So I think they explained this away really well here, which was actually made it an emotional piece, which is the father trying to give the rebellion a chance to destroy it. Which I think is actually a really good way to expl explain that away and a real good plot point to put in there. The thing I didn't like about this scene though is the fact that this is Jin seeing her father for the first time in a very, very, very long time. And this is, it's not a voice, like it's not just a phone call. She can actually see him, which I think is rather weird. That you can actually see your father, you actually image him for the first time in since she was very very young so something ridiculous and she can't even shed a tear it, it seems like she's trying but she just can't seem to get it out i don't know if that was an acting choice or if that was that was just a character choice i really or i don't know but it it's, it's something in that just didn't seem right and it kind of pulled me out of the scene to be honest but i mean it's not something that will destroy it overall it's just something that was a bit mm, that's a bit weird so Anyway, the movie did scale really well though. After the scene of the Urso scene, there has a part where the Death Star comes down to blow up planet Jeddah. And we actually get to see it for the first time, the Death Star destroy a planet from the planet point of view. And this is rather nuts, actually. You, you see the ground crack, you see the rocks get shot up into the sky to a ridiculous length. You see the planet basically... You know that scene in Inception where uh, they're walking along the street and the 
like city just kind of like folds over itself and they walk up the wall and walk they're walking on the ceiling then kind of like thing it's kind of like that except if it wasn't you know nice straight platforms it was cracking and jarring and it looked really out of place i think that was, it's just a really really nice scene and kind of shows the scale of what the death star can do even if it's not at max power the other thing they showed which i thought was pretty good was how close the death star was to the planet that the destruction was so high that the, the, the rocks were flying so high into the sky it was almost hitting the screen in the death star in space like it, it got that close to it and i think i just think this is, a, this is a good scene to show the scale of how good uh of how destructive the death star is i think another good example for scale is the atats on the planet scarif coming at the rebellion and uh you see them from the from the point of view it's kind of like an over shoulder look looking up at this massive at and it's kind of in smoke at the start and then you see its head turn and then it's just this giant thing in the sky which i think is another way to a good way to show scale there too anyway but the thing i wanted to talk about on scarif actually was the this is where all majority of our heroes in the film go to die and i think this is a brilliant end because every single character dies for the mission they all die doing their job doing a specific thing that is needed to be done to further along this mission that they're doing i think that's actually a really good way to send them out and i i really like that the one exception to this i have is cassian's death because cassian dies well cassian quotation mark dies originally getting the death star plans out of the library and handing it to Jin to climb out and he is trying to defend her and he falls down and looks like he dies on the ground there and i think that would be a great way to kill him off because i think you know he's done his job he's gotten the thing and he gets jin out safely which well safely quotation marks but as far as he knows he's gotten her out safely and he comes back at the end to save her once again and i feel like that's a little bit of a cop out that he comes back to save her again from krennic and i i really think that kind of cheapens his death or his, what looks like his death at the start. If you're not going to have him die there, at least just have him get out of there. Um, but anyway, apart from that, I thought that was really good. And the best scene in the entire movie happens right at the end. There's a dark hallway. The rebels turn and look into the darkness. You hear... And this red light shines and it reveals Darth Vader holding his lightsaber in the hallway. He proceeds to just walk down this thing, slaughtering them like they're just nothing. He holds this one guy up at the ceiling and holds him there while he's deflecting all these lasers on the other side and just destroying people with it. And then he walks past and slices this guy in half and just, just, just destroys. He just absolutely destroys. And it shows the truly terrifying Darth Vader. Now Darth Vader in the original movies was pretty terrifying for the time, but as they've kind of gotten outdated and kind of gotten old, although he's still a very authoritative figure, he's not as scary as he could be now with the technology we have now. So I think this is a good showing of how brutal Darth Vader could be. And I think that's, I think they just did a really good job. It's also, <laughs> it's also a, a terrifying scene, right? The rebellion, which is the people you're usually cheering for, are just getting slaughtered in numbers yet somehow when he walks down that hallway just slaughtering people I have a grin on my face I'm sitting there grinning looking through this whole scene just watching Vader this this Anakin this kid we saw destroy an entire village to avenge his mother the man we saw slaughter everyone on Mustafar just absolutely wreck shop here and I think this is one of the times that really shows Darth Vader Anakin Darth Vader like it, it, it's not full Darth Vader Darth Vader it's it's still the Anakin Vader we know which I think it's a really good thing. Uh, the only thing I think this movie missed out on was the opportunity on the Scarif fight scene. They have a scene where they've got people on the ground fighting, they have uh, X-Wings fighting in the middle, kind of like uh, at the top of this tower kind of thing, and they have this massive battle in space going on as well at the top. 
And I think the only thing they missed, because they do a very good job of showing scale in this movie, but the only thing they missed was the fact of looking up from the ground level, looking up through the, the X-Wings and that flighting in the middle, to the spaceships fighting above. And I think that would have been, that would have been a really good shot just to go up so you can see the lasers at the bottom, the planes in the middle, or the X-Wings in the middle, and then the spaceships in the sky. I think that would be a really good shot. But apart from that, I think the movie was fantastic. Uh, I'd definitely watch it again when it comes out. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it was a great movie. Moving on to Shooter. Now, Shooter is a Netflix adaptation of the book Point of Impact by Stephen Hunter. The book was also made into a movie in 2007 played by Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and the movie and the show start off pretty much the same, actually, with some, some slight differences. In the movie, the president will be shot in a podium. In the show, he'll be shot leaving the car. There's just little differences like that that, you know, make it kind of different. There's also some flair to how it happens. I, mean, I won't spoil it, but it's in the first episode, and it's fantastic. Uh, sadly, from that point onwards, it... <laughs> It just kind of gets shittier and shittier, to be honest. Um, there's just decisions and there's just bad luck and the show just becomes annoying to me. There's enough interesting in the show to keep me going, but there's certain things that are really, really annoying. Like, uh, like Swagger somehow being able to visit his wife even though it isn't safe and he's, he's hiding. Uh, like Swagger even going to visit his wife even though it's not safe to do so, which just seems like a stupid idea considering he's been playing it safe up until then. Like this guy named Payne, who thinks he can blackmail his boss into getting millions of diamonds, or he'll hand over this USB worth of incriminating evidence, and then upon receiving the diamonds, he loses the USB to Swagger, and then he gets rehired, even though Meacham, who's like this dude who got hired to get the USB back, gets killed for not getting the USB back. It makes no bloody sense. But it's just several moments like this, especially with a character uh, named Isaac. He has this like conscious backflip, but like every episode, it's like he he flips one way and then he flips the other. He'll he'll say it's morally wrong to kill this person, and then he'll kill this person anyway. But then in the next episode, he'll say it's morally wrong to kill this person, and he'll help this person escape. Like you just you really don't understand why he's doing certain things. It's just rather silly to be honest. Um, but I mean, there's a few episodes left to go on this, and uh, I guess we'll uh. We'll come and revisit it when it's actually finished and look at it as an overall to see if it's gotten any better. But um, currently the last couple of episodes have seen rather lackluster to be honest. And I think it's episode 9 it's up to now. Episode 10 comes out this week. Um, but yeah, those are just, it's just, sometimes it just gets silly. And the last show we're going to be talking about is Sherlock. Sherlock has started season 4 and uh, it's got two episodes to come out. The third one's actually just come out today but I haven't seen it yet so... I'll actually be talking about the first and the second episode here. In the first episode, uh, just straight up, uh, spoiler warning here, Mary Watson dies. And it happens just as jarring as I've actually just brought it up. But let's backtrack a little bit and let's go back to the little bit at the start. So the majority of this episode is actually montages between the Watsons and Sherlock. The Watsons have a kid that gets baptized and Sherlock is hunting for what appears to be the return of Moriarty after the cliffhanger at the ending of season 3. A case is brought to Sherlock in the meantime about someone destroying images of Margaret Thatcher, which turns out to be an old work friend of Mary's who wants to kill her because he believes she left him behind. In the end, Mary jumps in front of a bullet to save Sherlock, and she gets a few moments to speak, but then is just straight up dead. As a plot device, I think this is really interesting, and it uh, actually kind of brings the Sherlock series back to its roots, which, the trio was nice, but evidently, you watch Sherlock for Sherlock and Watson. That's just what you watch Sherlock and Watson for. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think... I think that it was a necessary thing to have her to have her go away. I also think that it kind of brings up this interesting thing now because Watson has a kid. Watson has a kid. His wife is dead, and it's kind of put this like massive crack in between the friendship of Sherlock and Watson. Um, 
In saying this though, the first episode does seem rather rushed and jumping all over the place until the very end. It's just there's way too many montages and passages of time going that you really just don't get the scope of thing and you really don't appreciate it. Um, but yeah, there's not really much else to say about the first episode because it just it just seems like it's over very quickly and they jump over so much stuff so quickly, not much of it sinks in until the very end, which is which is Mary's death, which I guess is the most important part of that episode is Mary's death. And I think that's going to be the most important part of this season is Mary's death and showing what kind of uh, butterfly effect that kind of has on Sherlock and Watson going forward. Uh, and you can kind of see it at the end of, of that episode and the start of episode number two is that Watson wants nothing to do with Sherlock. He, he absolutely hates Sherlock and he believes it's his fault that Mary is dead, that he caused her to die or it's his fault that she died. And I think that'll be a, a thing that goes on for the rest of the episodes of the ghost story. But episode number two was all about Sherlock trying to catch Mr. Smith, which is a, a guy who's hiding in plain sight. He's, he's, he does ads, he does TV, he's a very high public figure. And uh, he has a daughter named Faith who comes to, comes to uh, Sherlock saying that she believes her father's going to kill someone. And yeah, that's what starts off this story. And I always like the editing in Sherlock. Sherlock's editing is always fantastic because they use editing as a tool to show thinking, which I think is actually a really cool way to do it. The way they use zoom shots and text on the screen and quick snaps to kind of show how how Sherlock is thinking. I think that's a really unique way to do it. I, I, I think that's why the show has lasted so long because it's such a unique way to show someone thinking. It's, it's such a brilliant way to do that. There's actually a channel called uh, Nerdwriter, and he does actually a really good piece recently that just came out about Sherlock editing, which I think you should go check out if you're interested in that kind of thing. There's actually a funny little moment here where Mycroft tracks Sherlock's unusual movements around the city, uh, even calling John for for a concern. Um, but uh, Sherlock actually spells out "fuck off" with the tracker that's on him, which I think is a, a funny little way to do that. But there's actually an interesting moment in that as well, where Mycroft actually lets it slip the implication of another home sibling, which. Which is interesting and a bit weird because it's jarring because he brings it up so out of nowhere and um, let it slip is I guess what kind of technically happens but he doesn't really let it slip there's nothing really let it slip about it but um, it's kind of like pushed in your face to be honest but I do like the idea of another Sherlock sibling and we'll get a bit more to that later. But yeah, Sherlock becomes uh, a little bit obsessed with Smith, and uh, in his drug-addled mind, he kind of goes on a little bit of a nuts rampage in his house, and uh, yeah, Miss Mrs. Hudson kind of <laughs> wraps him up and and takes him to uh, takes him to go see John, which is at his therapist at the time. Which <laughs> it's kind of a funny scene here too. Watson is really annoyed because he doesn't understand how she found him. And uh, Sherlock, said, Sherlock told her three weeks in advance where he'd be. And then it proceeds to do other things three weeks in advance as well. Like, there's a car sent by Smith to come pick them up three weeks in advance. And Molly Hooper turns up to a therapist because he knows that John's going to get him to check her out. And, you know, this kind of thing. He knows Watson so well that he can do this stuff. I think that's a really nice little scene there. But yeah, John and Sherlock go and meet this uh, Mr. Smith. Which I actually, I really like him as, as a villain. Because... He, he has this way where he's just straight up admitting that he's a killer to Sherlock. But he says it in such a way that you're not really sure if he's being serious or not. Like, it seems like he's being serious admitting that he's a serial killer. But at the same time, he's saying it in such an open manner, in such a jokingly manner, that it doesn't seem quite right. Which kind of puts them off, 
off balance where they don't really know what on earth is going on, which I kind of like. It's kind of a kind of a new position for them. But you can see Sherlock is still confident that he's got it correct, and he thinks he's always one step ahead, which is a good thing, but also kind of the downfall of him right here because he calls he calls in Faith, which is Smith's daughter, um, preemptively on Smith's phone. And as she turns up, he feels confident that he's going to goad Smith into basically admitting that he's, a, that he's a serial killer. But it's not the person who met with him in his flat weeks prior. And he's kind of angry and he's kind of, with his role, I think is kind of kicking in here. He actually goes to attack uh, Smith with a scalpel. And uh, Watson actually stops him and then, <laughs> I mean, just beats the crap out of him and basically screams at him saying that he's, he's, it's his fault that Mary died and that it, it's all on him. Now Sherlock gets admitted into Smith's hospital, and John goes to pay him one last visit, leaves the uh, cane on his chair because he doesn't need it anymore, and he walks out and he plans to leave. And Smith actually enters the room via a, uh, a secret door that he's got in. So it turns out that Smith can go into any room that he wants via these secret passages that he's put in, and kill whoever he wants. So he just has his hospital people that he can just walk in and kill whenever he wants, which... It's rather creepy if you think about it, and I really hope that it doesn't cross my mind if I'm in a hospital again, because that would be something that's going to keep me up all the time, just watching walls, waiting to see if someone comes in. But yeah, so John leaves him, and uh, Sherlock is there with his almost inevitable fate, and John goes back to uh, Sherlock's apartment, where uh, where he finds the CD that shows that uh, he, Sherlock's actually acting on Mary's orders to put himself in harm's way, so that John will be compelled to, to rescue him. And uh, hopefully saving the friendship this sends uh watson all the way back to the hospital and gets there just in time to see smith almost suffocating uh sherlock with a pillow uh, i think this is a, a nice ending and it, it heads down to um sherlock and watson sitting back in the flat and uh watson saying that he doesn't think that he, that he no longer blames sherlock basically for mary's death and uh then they go on to this other stuff, which I, I won't go into here, but it's also a rather interesting story as well. Now, the final bit of the episode, which is actually what I'm really excited about, and probably is why I'm going to go watch the episode straight after doing this, is uh, the fact that John's next session with his therapist reveals that she's pretending to be both Faith and his therapist. And, uh, and she's also pretending to be the girl that John was texting uh, on the bus and was meeting on the bus. And it turns out she's actually Eurus Holmes, uh, which is Sherlock and Mycroft's secret sibling. And as John attempts to leave the building, uh, the last few like moments of the scene is literally Eurus getting up and pulling a trigger. So we have no idea what happens there, and I guess we'll uh, we'll go on episode three of next week. But I like the idea of Eurus, and Eurus actually in Greek means the east wind. And there was a thing at the end of season three where Mycroft says the east wind will come to get you, which I have no idea what that means. But it's going to be an interesting episode three, I guess, and I, I guess we'll find that out uh, next week. So yeah, like I said at the start of the episode, uh, this is going to be now a weekly thing for a little while, while I get through some of the stuff that I wanted to catch up on. Uh, I'm still going to leave the episodes as three topics, regardless of how long or short they go for, um, just because I don't want to kind of, uh, I don't want to lessen it. I kind of just want to go through the stuff I want to go through and we'll just move on. So we'll see how that goes, you know, if it, if it feels like it's too short, I'll probably add in some more, if it feels like it's too long, I'll... I'll take some out, and, and we'll see how we go from there. But yeah, so anyway, I'll see you next week, and uh, thanks for listening. Bye!